Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Just go to Indeed.com slash BrainsOn right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Breaking news. In a surprising upset, a dark horse candidate has taken the lead in the presidential race. Apparently, it's a plant? Okay, well, let's hear what supporters are saying. You know, I appreciate that plants all about growth. That's what our country needs. I like that the plant doesn't give big, long speeches. Or any speeches. It's the strong, silent type. I like a politician who can throw shade. And boy, does plant throw shade. Plant is constantly absorbing carbon dioxide, which helps fight global warming. So, yeah, it's got my vote. I don't know. I just like its vibe. And also its flowers. There you have it. Second place candidate Preston Peters had this to say in response. I'm losing to a plant? How is that even possible? Like, with leaves and everything? Ugh, I need to rethink my life choices. We'll be back with more on this story as it develops. Until then, here's Brains On. listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host for this episode is Darshana from Oakland, California. Hi, Darshana. Hi. I'm the obsessed plant person you've all been looking for right here, right now. <laughs> well, we are so glad to have found you. What is it that makes you so obsessed about plants? I have a greenhouse. I love plants. I talk to them. Yes, I know it's weird. Yeah, it's really fun. What do you say to the plants? Kind of just say, good morning, how you doing? You're looking good today. (laughs) Stuff like that. That's so awesome. And so tell me kind of a little bit about your plant routine. Like, do you go out there every day? How do you take care of them? Sometimes I plant something like once a month because like that sounds not a lot of planting, but I need a get the ones that I planted before sprouting until I plant the next ones. And so on weekends, I go in the morning to water them, and on weekdays, I go at night. And what kinds of plants do you have in the greenhouse? I mostly have flowers, but I also have cat grass, which is basically catnip cats can eat. Do you have a favorite? Sunflowers, like the really tall ones, and now they're famous on our block. Every year we grow them, and everybody's like, oh, you're going to do sunflowers this year. They were so pretty, blah, blah, blah. So those grow outside of the greenhouse? They grow in the front yard, so it's yard, sidewalk, and then we have that little dirt area, and we grow it there. How does it make you feel when you see those sunflowers over the summer? I like, I feel really happy, and there's One that's always at least taller than my mom. Oh, wow. And I like to see them bloom and stuff. Well, Darshna, we asked you to help us out today, not 
because of your garden, but because you asked us a really good question. Do plants have feelings? So what made you think of this question? It's such a good one. I was kind of just like talking to my plants, being like, hey there, hi y'all. And then I was like, can they hear me? What do they think if they can hear me? Are they happy to see me, but they don't have eyes? So what do you think? Do you think plants, you know, can sort of think and feel the way that that we can? I know it's not backed up by science, and this is a science podcast, but, like, (laughs) kind of feel like they do have feelings. Like, not the way that we could say, because we can't define feelings. There's so many of them. But it's like maybe they feel better some days and not better but worse some days. And maybe they're not happy to see because they don't have eyes, but, like, hear their friends, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there are things that are good for plants and things that aren't good for plants. Yeah, so, like, maybe when they get eaten, (laughs) they don't like that. That's a feeling, not liking stuff. Well, we asked Sandin to look into this, and... Here I am. Oh, oh, ah, that was heavy. Hey, Sandin. Is that a bag of soil? Of course it is. Now take off your shoes. Okay, but... Socks, too. Come on. Chop, chop. Wait. Why are we doing this? You're right. This is fun. Sometimes I don't think he listens. Now, hold your feet still while I pour some fresh dirt on them. Nice. And a sprinkle of water. There. How does that feel? Squishy, and it feels like there's worms in it. (laughs) Yeah, it also feels like you made a huge mess in the studio. Exactly. It feels like you're a plant. Um, okay, I guess. I wanted you both to be in a planty mindset for this episode. Now, make sure you absorb plenty of water and nutrients through your feet. Not possible. While I take you on a journey through the world of plants. Darshana, your question about plant feelings brings up a whole mess of other questions. Like, what do we mean by feelings? And how would we even know what plants are experiencing anyway? And honestly, can we even define what we are experiencing? Like... What is our consciousness and what are our feelings? Darshana, how how would you define feelings? Like if you had to explain them to an alien or a robot. Feelings are not very explainable, but if I had to, happy, for example, it feel, sometimes you feel it when you get something you want or like you're walking on air. Robot would probably take the walking on air <laughs> part the wrong way, but... Right, yeah. Yeah, they are really hard to describe. Well, to investigate this plant feeling question, let's start small and work our way up because it is a tricky topic. Lucky for us, the last 10 years or so are chock full of well-established plant science that we can turn to. But before we get to that, let's talk about some not-so-well-established plant science and a best-selling book called The Secret Life of Plants. The year was 1973, U.S. President Richard Nixon was getting tangled up in a political scandal called Watergate. NASA wrapped up its last moon landing. And back here on Earth, hippies roamed the streets, dressed in bell-bottoms and floral prints, saying stuff like, Far out, man. And Keep on trucking. This was way before computers and the internet really took off. So people listened to music on big black records. They watched TV shows on TVs with antennas. And they read lots of books, including one called 
The Secret Life of Plants. And it was full of far out facts. Hey man, did you know plants prefer classical music to rock and roll? Unreal. Yeah, and it says here, plants hate violence. I also hate violence. So groovy. A lot of the book is based on a series of studies where a researcher hooked up plants to a lie detector. Now, do you know what those machines are, Darshana? Yeah, they're kind of like you hook them up to your fingers and you tell a lie or not a lie and it beeps red if it was a lie and green if it's not, but usually they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> right, so these machines, they have sensors and you, you put them on a person and it'll measure electrical activity. Normally, you'd put the sensors on a person and ask them questions, but one researcher hooked up his plants to this machine. Then he would do stuff and see if the plants responded with an electrical pulse. And according to him, the plants totally responded. If someone hurt a plant, the plant would react. If someone hurt an animal near the plant, the plant would react. In fact, if someone just thought about hurting a plant, the plant would react. It's like plants are totally psychic. They can read our minds. Oh, out of sight. Plants are so sensitive. They totally have feelings, man. Hold up, hippies. The book might have been a hit, but the claims in it, not so much. Wait, what? I thought it was wildly interesting, but then I wasn't even a scientist then, but then I started going, really? That's Heidi Apple. Today, she's a professor at the University of Toledo, but back in the 70s, she was a teenager who was fascinated by plants and this weird plant book. And the more I read, the more I realized that a lot of the stuff that was published in there was completely wacko. But because I love plants, it didn't deter me from becoming a biologist who then returned years later to the kinds of questions that were posed in that uh, life of plants. Heidi wasn't the only one who thought this book was a bit batty. Other scientists tried to repeat the lie detector tests and surprise, they didn't work. Even though the book and its claims were shown to be wrong, some of it stayed in people's minds. Like the part about plants liking classical music. I'm pretty sure I heard that growing up. Exactly. Now, the process of science did what it was supposed to. Researchers saw wild claims, they tested them, and when they couldn't repeat them, the claims were thrown out. Science is so groovy. Totally out of sight, yeah. But this book left kind of a stain on the world of plant science for a while. Some people started associating plant research with this kind of unscientific worldview. And Heidi Apple says because of that, for years, there wasn't as much new plant science being done. I mean, there were still some scientists who proceeded with research in this area, and that was great. But it definitely slowed down research in the area. But eventually, like plants awakening in the spring, this field of research started blooming again. Amazing discoveries were made about plants hearing, even communicating. And this time, it was all backed by solid science. And I'll tell you about it coming up. Wow, I am very excited to hear the next chapter. But first, Sandin, please help us clean up all this mud. Yeah, and I really need to wash my feet. Uh, yeah, you know, now that I have time to reflect on it, this might not have been the best decision I've made today. Let me go get a shovel.
While Sandin's cleaning the studio floor, let's move things along with a... Here it is. What is your guess, Darshana? Kind of feels like oh, I have one of these in a museum. If you push your hand into it, the other side has your handprint. It kind of sounds like that. Oh, yeah, like those things that have like the like little metal pins and you can put your hand in it makes an impression of them. Yeah, or maybe it's something to do with plants. If that is, <laughs> it might have been, I don't know, plants. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're going to give you another chance to hear it and guess a little bit later in the show. Do you have a question for the show or a mystery sound you want to share? Maybe a drawing of a plant for president poster? That would be awesome. Send it to us at brainson.org slash contact. That's how we got this brain-busting question. Hi, my name is Kiara. I am seven years old, and my question is, why do bats sleep upside down? We'll answer that at the end of the show. Plus, you'll hear the latest group of kids to join the Brains Honor Roll. Keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Sitka Seafood Market. Seafood is a great source of long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, which can support heart health. Salmon is one of my favorite foods, and so it's so delightful when a box of amazing quality, beautiful salmon arrives at my door. Sitka Seafood Market sources from small boat fishermen and community-based processors that take great care to provide the highest quality seafood that is wild-caught, sustainably, and ethically harvested. And one of the best parts is Sitka Seafood Market offers a variety of flexible subscriptions that can come monthly or every other month. It's super convenient, so if you're going on vacation, you can pause or you can cancel anytime. I know you'll love it as much as I do. Go to SitkaSeafoodMarket.com and use code MOLLY35 for $35 off your first order of $100 or more. That's SitkaSeafoodMarket.com, promo code MOLLY35 for $35 off your first order of $100 or more. That's SitkaSeafoodMarket.com. You're listening to Brains On. I'm Molly. And I'm Daishana. Here at Brains On, we love plants. We think they have a lot to share with the world. That's why we wanted to imagine a world where plants could run for president. Obviously, any plant candidate or planted it would need a good slogan. And wow, you all had some amazing ideas. Hi, my plants for president slogan is, a vote for me is a vote for sustainability. My idea for a plant slogan is a photosynthesis you can believe in. Belief in me so they'll grow together as a country. My name is Mr. Plant and I'm running for president. I will stop global warming or else I will die. Please vote for me. Thank you. My idea for the plants campaign slogan is plant your vote my way. If plants are running for president, they would say, please pick me. I plant in my roots. My slogan is I never leave anybody out. Hi, Brains On. We have a plant slogan for you. Laying down roots for a plantastic environment. With your vote, we believe we can do anything. 
It's going to be a tough race in this plant presidential election. Thanks to Riley from Melbourne, Elia from Phoenix, Elliot from Toronto, Daniel from Rockport, Maine, Min from Sydney, Elias from Durham, North Carolina, Greta and Maya from Chicago, and Jackson. Darshana, do you have a plant for president slogan you want to share? Sure. Um, you usually plant me, but this time I'm going to plant something. I'm going to plant some new laws. <laughs> wow. Rousing stuff. Really inspiring. Plants have my vote. Welcome back, Sandin. Thanks. So when we left off, the world of plant science was recovering from some bogus claims that put the brakes on new research during the 1970s and 1980s. But eventually, things picked up. Remember that scientist we heard from before, Heidi Apple? Yeah, the researcher from the University of Toledo. Right, who has an excellent name for studying plants, by the way. (laughs) Uh, People like her were doing new, exciting studies. Like, she started at a new university, and she was talking with a colleague who studied how insects communicate on plants. Now, his team needed to monitor these tiny sounds, so they measured the vibrations they cause in leaves. And then he said, but we had a terrible day today. Because there was a caterpillar chewing on the plant, and we couldn't hear anything else. And at that point, we both looked at each other and thought the same thing. They thought, could the plant also be hearing this noisy caterpillar? Wait, plants hearing? They don't have ears. That is a very good point, Molly. (laughs) Very good observation. They do not. (laughs) But they do have these special proteins in their cells that can detect pressure on them which is kind of like how our eardrums detect pressure from sound waves. Heidi knew this, and she knew that when a caterpillar is eating a plant, that plant will make chemicals to defend itself. Chemicals that make it taste bad to the bugs or might even make a bug sick if the bug eats too much of it. Cool defense system. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. But is it the caterpillar's bites that trigger this defense? Or could just the sound alone be enough to do it? So her team recorded the vibrations caused by caterpillars eating a plant. That's this sound. We altered it so you can hear it. Check it out. Nice sound. Yeah, it's soothing to us, but I don't know, maybe to a plant, that's like danger, danger. So Heidi and her team, they played that same sound back to a plant later when the caterpillar wasn't around. And guess what? The plant started defending itself as if a caterpillar was actually there, like the plant was hearing the sound. And we looked at it, we go, whoa, (laughs) can this be true? So obviously, they tested and retested. They tried other sounds besides caterpillars, too. And they found that the plant didn't react to things like wind or being rustled. It only turned on the defenses when it heard the rhythmic chomping of a caterpillar. It could tell the difference. So it's, it's not hearing like we hear, but it's sort of similar. So if they can detect this sound, do you think they can tell when we are talking to them or playing music? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually one that I'm very curious about too, because I talk to my plants, but I don't want them spilling all my secrets. So <laughs> I really hope they don't know what's going on. Um, But yeah, a lot of people do talk to their plants. Or maybe they play them classical music or heavy metal. And here's what I've learned. The plants might feel the pressure from those sound waves, but there's no reason for the plants to react to those noises. It's like 
wind blowing to them. Some people think maybe your breath might uh, help the plants, like when you're talking to them because you're exhaling carbon dioxide, but there's not a lot of evidence that it really makes that much of a difference because, you know, there's plenty of carbon dioxide in the air anyway. But hey, if it makes you happy to talk to your plants, then feel free to talk, talk, talk away. So the research with the caterpillar sound, were other scientists able to find the same results? Yeah. Unlike the lie detector stuff, this research held up. And it turns out this is just the tip of the root when it comes to plant senses. In fact, plant roots are also really good at sensing things. Scientists found that roots underground can tell if something is blocking their path and they'll grow around it rather than bump into it. The roots can also find water or pockets of nutrients. They even know the difference between the roots of a plant like them and the roots of a different species. That's a lot of action underground. Yeah, so there's plenty of action happening above ground, too. For instance, scientists discovered that plants send messages to each other through the wind. Hold up. Messages through the wind? Yeah, Get this, when when certain plants are under attack by a pest or an animal eating it, they'll release signals into the air. And other plants nearby will get that signal through the wind and start ramping up their own defenses. Simon Gilroy, he's a plant researcher at the University of Madison in Wisconsin, he told me it just shows you that plants are way tuned into what's going on around them. Plants are masters at, like, chemistry. You usually think of plants as just being like these, these slow things that are out there and they're just on their own, but they are absolutely able to talk to each other and they do it with chemicals. So when roots are rooting around finding nutrients, that's done with chemicals? Yeah. The roots give off chemicals and absorb chemicals underground. And Simon told me when plants are mounting defenses, that message is also sent throughout the plant using chemicals. We have our five senses and our nerves and muscles to interact with the world. And plants, they have chemicals. So... Do they sense the world around them? Absolutely. And do they then take that information and process it and then do really amazing things which are entirely appropriate? Absolutely. The parallels of what they do are really close at the big scale about what we do, but the machinery they have is different. Whoa, right on. Yeah, dig it. Plants are like us. They must have feelings. Random hippie types, you're still here? Yeah, we wanted to hear the rest of this primo story. For sure. Well, I think you're getting a little carried away. Yeah, we tend to do that. For sure. I mean, we are learning that plants are more aware of the world than we previously thought. But feelings... I don't know, that's a big jump. Like, I spoke to this one plant researcher from UC Santa Cruz named Lincoln Taze, and he told me that for us animals, we had to evolve our senses and nerves and eventually big brains to create the feelings we have. Plants didn't even get to the, the first step of that process, which is to evolve muscles and a nervous system. They didn't take that route. Instead, plants doubled down on being sun collectors. They evolved around a strategy of growing and growing and growing, which helps them absorb more sunlight and nutrients. We evolved to move around and seek out food and water and shelter, and feelings are really important to help us avoid danger and seek good things. Lincoln says for plants, that's just not necessary. And in fact, it would be a disadvantage, especially if you think of like a forest fire. A plant cannot escape a forest fire 
If the plant actually felt pain and had feelings, it would be horrible because here they would be trapped by their root systems, unable to move, they have no muscles to move. Uh, it would be unbearable you know, for a plant, so it would be a terrible disadvantage for a plant to have feelings the way animals do. So, as you can see, Darshana and Molly, and random hippie types, asking if plants have feelings opens up a lot of other questions. But with science, big claims need big proof to back them up. And right now, there, there just isn't enough proof of plant feelings for most scientists. But that doesn't mean plants aren't doing amazingly complex things, because they totally are. It's just very different from how we do things. Out of sight. Far out. That is so deep, compadre. Right? So plants don't seem to feel like we do, but they may have their own way of doing things. And people are debating right now over whether or not we should call that intelligence or instinct or something else. So there's plenty of research left to do in this field. Wow, Mondo Bizarro, man. Yeah, let's go meditate on this in the woods. Peace, everyone. Peace, man. Well... Thanks for answering my questions, Sandin. Yeah, and for all those epic plant facts. No problem. And actually, I think I'm going to go check out the woods with the hippies. That sounds kind of fun. Peace. Peace, Sandin. Have fun. So, Darshana, do you feel like you understand your plants better now than you did before? I do. I'm I'm really surprised about the part that plants can hear caterpillars Mm -hmm. and they have defense mechanisms. And the roots, everything. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, plants, they seem very quiet, like they're just sitting there, but there is a lot going on that we don't notice. Brains, brains, brains. So, Darshna, are you ready to try that mystery sound one more time? Yeah. And before you hear it this time, I'm going to give you a hint it's happening outside. Okay. So, here it is. Right. What is your guess this time, Darshana? It could be like winds wrestling mm-hmm. or like making the trees wrestle, mm-hmm. like move. Or maybe they're raking leaves mm. to make them like scraped into a pile, I guess. Mm-hmm. Excellent guess. Here is the answer. My name is Maya and I'm from Honolulu, Hawaii. That was the sound of me raking leaves in my front yard. I like raking leaves because it's really fun to jump in the pile when I'm done. Nice work. Raking leaves. You got it. Thanks. Woo, raking leaves for the win. Brains on. All right, we have one more plant-related question to answer. This one is from another listener. Hi. My name is Kaylee. I live in Eugene, Oregon. My question is, if a tree decomposes or turns into soil somehow, and another tree of the same type is planted in the soil, can the second tree tell? Oh, you know who's been gardening lately? Gungador. I bet he can help. Gungador? Isn't he famous for accidentally killing all his plants? Hi! Okay, yeah, but... Every time plant uh, passes on, I learn something not to do. So, you stopped feeding your plants turkey jerky and watering them with laundry detergent? Always learning! Don't worry, 
I also have science friend to help. Hi, I'm Karina Mafuni, and I am a scientist that studies forest ecosystems and trees. Okay, so for me, this question, inspired forest poem. Old tree dies, new tree grows. That's how things in forest go. Here, Karina, explain it. So when these trees die, other trees and plants will actually start growing on that dead tree. They call that a nursery log. You can actually walk through a forest and see a dead tree with a bunch of little baby trees and baby plants growing off that tree. And they're taking all of the nutrients that were in that old tree. It's not like they're stealing it from the tree. It's almost like the tree has passed its time and is now handing off all of its resources to these new plants. And then over many and many of years, that nursery log will decrease compose and break down and go away. Get this. New trees living on old trees, totally fine. Not cannibalism. So yeah, they're not being plant cannibals. There's actually some plants that prefer to grow on nursery logs versus the forest floor soil because it's kind of like this giant sponge for nutrients. And living on dead plant does not make new plants sad. There is, say, a footprint of that old plant there, but none of it translates to the new plant, you know, being upset that it's being planted on an old dead plant. Amazing! Okay, also, plants can just live on other plants when no plant is dead. Even if a tree's alive, there's other plants that can grow on the trees, and that's not bad for the tree either. Those plants are called epiphytes. Epiphytes mean plants that grow on other plants. You can see, like, ferns growing on trees or even a small plant growing on a mossy patch on a live tree. Ah, plants so amazing. Even if they don't know it the way we know things. Plants have been here much longer than us. They do have some form of adapting and evolving and knowing, you know, what's the right place to do the right things. So true. Okay, there you go. Gongi out. We've learned a lot about plants by testing and retesting our ideas. We've discovered that plants can respond to sounds and share signals with each other. They are aware of the world around them, but as far as we can tell, there's no evidence of plants having feelings like us. Some plants also grow well in areas where older plants died. And plants can even grow on other plants. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Sandra Tartan, Manica Wilhelm, Molly Bloom, and Mark Sanchez. We had special help today from Natalie Walters, Mark Zedeklik, Nancy Yang, Denzel Bielan, Brita Green, Paul Tosto, John Miller, and Jonathan Shiflett. Big thanks to Harsh Bass, Lincoln Taze, Simon Gilroy, and Heidi Apple. Now before we go, it's a time for a moment of... Why do bats sleep upside down? So why do bats sleep upside down? That's a great question. There's so many things about bats that are really, really cool. Hello, this is Deanne Reeder. I'm a professor of biology at Bucknell University, and I study bats. They're the only mammals that can really fly, and so they're 
hands have become wings and their fingers have gotten really long and their legs have turned backwards and there's all kinds of interesting different ways in which their bodies have adapted to be able to fly but it means that they're really not very good at standing up and so bats tend to roost or hang upside down um, almost all of the time and they sleep upside down too their feet are like little hooks and they just grab onto a branch or a piece of bark and then they can just hang there and it doesn't take any energy at all when they're ready to fly they just let go bats aren't like helicopters they can't just take off straight up into the air they have to drop down first in order to fly so it's really kind of about aerodynamics if they were like us the blood would rush to their brain and they wouldn't feel well at all. But instead, they have little one-way valves in all of their blood vessels that keep the blood from flowing to their head. Otherwise, their strategy wouldn't work at all. Um, um, um. I'm right side up and ready to read this list of names. It's the Brains Honor Roll. These are the amazing listeners who send us their questions, ideas, mystery sounds, drawings, and high fives. Sean from Los Angeles, Ben from Durham, United Kingdom, Mirabelle and Juliet from Rivervale, New Jersey, Marshall from Anchorage, Alaska, Pia from Austin, Texas, Olivia from Austin, Texas, Gus from Little Rock, Arkansas, Matthew from Huntington Park, California, Andreas and Kula from Detroit, Izzy from Atlanta, Aria from Newport Coast, California, Alexa from Seattle, Caleb from Hernando, Mississippi, Penny from Bozeman, Montana, Shersha from Indianapolis, Oliver from Darlington, Pennsylvania, Naftali from Toronto, Abby from Virginia, Isabella from Maple Grove, Minnesota, Nathan from Portland, Oregon, Lucy from Bozeman, Montana, Jack and Crew from Damascus, Oregon, Ellie from Madison, Wisconsin, Senya from Ottawa, Caitlin and Abigail from Katona, New York, Liam from Seattle, Louisa from Los Angeles, Avery from Ferndale, Washington, Edwin, Elena, and Susanna from Wilmington, Delaware, Atticus from Durham, Connecticut, Anna from Minneapolis, Abigail from Bainbridge, Georgia, Trinity from North Dakota, Caroline from Clarksburg, Missouri, Alexander from Nashville, Millie and Will from Portland, Oregon, Mia from Toronto, Millie and Will from Queenstown, New Zealand, Aiden, Miles, and Gabby from Invergrove Heights, Minnesota, Ivy from Portland, Oregon, Mia from Toronto, Bahati from St. Paul, Minnesota, Isabel and Tatiana from Canmore, Alberta, Felicity from Mount Holly, North Carolina, Kaylin from Peterson, Minnesota, Micah from Vancouver, British Columbia, Benson from Plainfield, Indiana, Elise and Maverick from Superior, Colorado, Tessa from Reading, England, Braxton from Cameron, Missouri, Francesca and Anne from Philadelphia, John Leo and Mario Dillon from Syracuse, New York, Liana from Vancouver, Callum from Stockholm, Sweden, Lucy from St. Peter's, Missouri, Lily from Young's Pilot, Ontario, Jace from Canton, Ohio, Cohen from Regina, Saskatchewan, and Atul from Walnut, California. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.